Welcome to the prolific teaching ministry of Pastor Emmanuel Iren, lead pastor of Celebration Church International. It is his vision to partner with you for your progress and joy in the faith. Ready, set, grow. Welcome to the Reboot Camp. The camp meeting that you heard about. The one where many miracles occur. The one where everyone receives a prophetic word. The one where your walk with God receives a miraculous boost. You're going to leave this place well fed. <laughs> Hallelujah. And we're going to start today on a very simple note. So this is what we're going to do. It's going to be progressive. And every single day, mark my words, we will get deeper and deeper. The manifestations of the spirit will continue to increase. But in every academic project, the first chapter is dedicated to what is called aims and objectives. And I want to start this camp meeting by telling you the aims and the objectives of this camp meeting, just to help you understand why exactly it is that you're here. Because that's so important. And to answer that question, I want to share with you a story from 1 Samuel chapter 9. That story <coughs> typifies or paints a picture of many of you right here. The Bible tells us of a certain rich man named Kish. And one day, strangely, all his donkeys went astray. They just strayed away from the house, from their pens. And he had to call his son, his son named Saul. And he said, take a servant and go look for the donkeys. And so Saul went with the servant and searched for these. The Bible says he went across the country hills of Ephraim, found no donkeys there, went to another place called Zep, or however it is spelled or pronounced, Z-U-P-H. P-H stands for Port Harcourt. <laughs> Just joking. You know. And in that city, Saul said, if we don't return now, let us give up and return now. If we don't return now, our dad will quit worrying about the donkeys and start worrying about us. Let us go. But the servant said something. He says, well, we're in this city. We can as well try something. I hear there is a man of God in this city. He has prophetic gifts. Let's go to him and he will tell us where the donkeys are. And so Saul followed the servant. They started looking for this man of God. Asking, where is the seer? Where's the prophet? And eventually, they asked some people and they said, oh, but you have to catch him. He's about to go and eat. And the people are waiting for him. They won't start eating until he blesses the food. So they ran and they saw him. And they said, are you the seer? And before they could say why they were there, the seer said, yes, follow me, let's go and eat. I will tell you all that is in your heart. And he said, and oh, by the way, <laughs> oh, by the way, 
The donkeys that you have been looking for, quit being anxious about them because they've returned home. Now, there are three important reasons that story is very important and very relevant to you right now. And the first reason I want to share with you is this. God knew you were coming. God knew you were coming. What does that story have to do with that? You see, as far as Saul was concerned, it was just accidental. They were looking for donkeys. They didn't know the donkeys were going to be straight away. They were looking for the donkeys and they found themselves in that city. But guess what? A day before they came, God took, I like the way KJV put it. The Bible says the prophet had in his ear, God say, someone is coming tomorrow. He's a Benjamite and you're going to anoint him because he's going to be the king of the people. He heard God say that. Interestingly, God did not mention donkey. Are you hearing what I'm saying? So now, in fact, Saul did not even know of any. He wasn't planning to attend the conference. Maybe like someone here, you just happen to be spending some time with your relative who happens to be attending this church. And they said, oh, our church is having a conference. Will you come? And so you're here. And you think it's accidental, but guess what? God knew you were coming. And he's prepared for you. He's prepared for you. You might be tuned in online. I'm telling you, God is prepared for you. Because the people tuned in online are way more than the people here physically. God is prepared for you. He knew you were coming. The second very important thing to point out is this. You came seeking answers, but God came seeking you. This is so crucial. God, I want a healing in my body. God, I'm so frustrated right now. Help me. I've been searching for three days for donkeys. Whatever donkeys might represent in your life, metaphorically. The only reason I came to look for the prophet is because I want donkeys. But God told the prophet, someone is coming tomorrow. So they were looking for the prophet and the prophet was waiting for them. So no introduction was needed. When the prophet saw them, God spoke to him and said, that's the person I told you about. You're going to anoint him king. Hallelujah. And it so turned out, the prophet told them, come and join me. Let's have lunch. <laughs> and they're like, we came for something. And it's like, you read, it, read your mind. He said, by the way, what was their main reason for coming became the side thought. Oh, Healing? Don't worry. Which leads me to the third point. God has a bigger plan for you. Just imagine what would have been running through Kish's mind eventually. You sent your son to look for donkeys, but he came back with oil on his head. Uh, Daddy, I'm your king now. How interesting that would have been. Because he sent a son to look for donkeys. He was looking for donkeys. All his mind was do 
what all that was on his mind were the donkeys. But God told the prophet, you will anoint him king over my people Israel. He will deliver them from the Philistines. Are you with me today? Listen, whatever it is you think is a priority today, I'm telling you there's something bigger at, in, in, here in play. God brought you here for something deeper. Destiny is calling you. And what God has in store for you, it's greater than whatever desire you have. Healing, financial favor, I'm telling you, destiny is calling you. Destiny is calling you. God wants to discuss with you something that is a way bigger picture. He wants to share with you like a friend his plans for the body of Christ. The plans he's going to discuss with you will make all your concerns very small. And guess what? It's not as if they went to the prophet and the prophet said, oh, forget about what you're seeking. Just focus on this. In fact, he gave them the answer on time so that they can focus on more important things. So I'm telling you prophetically, every dilemma, every question, every desire in your heart will be so cheaply accomplished so that you can focus on something bigger. Did you hear what I said? I'm talking about, oh, by the way, oh, by the oh. Oh, oh, you have a pain in your body. Oh, by the way, you're healed. <laughs> Did you hear what I said? This is a prophetic atmosphere, so you have to be alert. Uh, oh, by the way, you're healed. Right now. Right now. Oh, by the way, favor is going to carry you next year. <laughs> to places your legs cannot go. Hallelujah. Listen, it's a real thing in our kingdom. Imagine, strangers were coming to look for the seer. And the Bible says, God told him in his ear, someone is coming. Hallelujah. <laughs> when it comes to favoring God's people, he talks to strangers. <laughs> Check the Bible. He will talk. If it's his children at stake, he will, talk to, he will break protocol. He will talk to sinners. Hallelujah. That's about to happen. Yes, <laughs> Glory to God. So, I want you to open your heart and have a balanced expectation. Because God has, you see, years ago, God gave us an acronym. An acronym, you know, to put our priorities right as far as expectations are concerned for Reboot Camp. We call it RICH. R for rejuvenate. So, Every reboot camp will be an opportunity for you to give your devotional life a boost, your prayer life a boost. You can get your prayer life back on track. If you came late, I want you to try to come early tomorrow because we're going to spend time praying. And you're going to need that as part of the camp meeting. I for indoctrinate, you see. So you're going to 
receive a robust diet of God's word. That's the epicenter of this camp meeting. Can I tell you something? If all your prayer requests are answered, you're going to have new prayer requests next month. It's the nature of life. But if the word of God is embedded in your spirits, can I tell you something? Many of the things you are requesting, many of the answers that you are seeking will answer to the word. Sit with the word. And sit with the word for the word's sake. Not because, you know, some people, they know how to study the word when they need a healing. Study the word when they need favor. Seek the word for the word's sake. And then see is celebrate. You know, take this time as a special season just to bask in the revelation of the glory of God. Worship, praise him. You know, forget about everything else. Focus on him. Thank you, Jesus. Hallelujah. Yes. So, R for rejuvenate, I for indoctrinate, C for celebrate, H for harvest. By the way, if you get, I don't know, this generation, I don't know, we don't like to share testimonies. I don't know why. I don't know why. So, um, I went to a conference around this time last year ministered there, a lot of miracles happened, a lot of people shared, but there was someone who didn't share and don't know why. I asked people to call their relatives, their sick relatives, put the phone on speaker, and I was praying. I just might do that this camp meeting, I'll flow with the spirit. And this young man had, you know, his mom had been treating high blood pressure for two full years on medication daily. And from that day till now, she has not needed drugs. Everything was stable. You know, so someone just put up my picture or something on his WhatsApp status and it was like, ah, you know this man? This man will not know what he did for me. You know, he was preaching at this conference one year ago and I'm like, I'm glad you shared now. (laughs) Because listen, when you share testimonies, it opens other people to possibilities. You have to understand that. It's a ripple effect. Ripple effect. So always share, at least for the sake of other people. Praise the Lord. Hallelujah. So get ready to share. And guess what? You will have testimonies to share. Yes, sir. Ha, 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 ha. Glory to God. All right, so having said that, welcome to the Reboot Camp. That's a much-needed introduction. Say with me, I declare that Reboot Camp 2020 will be all that we prayed about. My spirit will be stirred and edified. Bodies will be healed. Expectations will be met. Say, let the miracles begin now. Yes. Hallelujah. Thank you, Jesus. Hallelujah. All right, turn your Bibles, Ephesians chapter 4, verse 8. I have to move with the speed of light. 
Ephesians chapter 4 verse 8. The theme of this camp meeting is apostolos. Greek word for apostles. And you're, you're about to understand why. <coughs> Ephesians <coughs> 4 8 says, Therefore he says, When he ascended on high, he led captivity captive and gave gifts to men. Now, this talks about two important things that happened when Christ ascended. He talked about something bad that happened to the kingdom of darkness and something good that happened to the kingdom of light, to the church. What did he say happened to the kingdom of darkness? He said, when he ascended on high, he led captivity captive. I like this. Every time I read this, I, I just hear it in a local African adage. It sounds like something that maybe a deep Yoruba person will say. Captivity is captive. I like it. Very poetic. Don't you think so? Captivity is captive? Meaning the very spirits and forces that all their lives sought to keep men bondage are now in bondage. Wow. <laughs> Natural man will say karma, but it's not karma. It's salvation. Yes. Captivity is captive. Wow. Someone says, oh, but the devil is still moving around. Yes, he's on parole. <laughs> but he's a prisoner to the name of Jesus. At the name, he will be tamed. Tamed. He cannot go beyond the confines of the name. Did you hear that? Captivity is captive. Glory to God. Listen, I'm speaking this over you. I'm announcing this to all the forces of darkness concerning you. Captivity is captive. Listen, every spirit that tries to hold humans bondage is in bondage. They are. They are. Listen, you have to recognize this. You have to recognize this. Any spirit that tries to torment you is being tormented. And we're going to display it in this camp meeting. Capo foretive esse I said, captivity is captive. <laughs> Glory to God. Say that captivity is captive. Listen, you see, you renew your mind with the word of God. It doesn't matter what you've watched in the movies and how they've portrayed the power of the devil. I don't like many of the Christian movies. I'm saying this respectfully. Because it's just drama. They're not biblical. So, um, the pastor is standing before um, a herbalist and they are exchanging fi fireborn. The herbalist will do his own. The pastor will fall. He will now charge. And then, he will almost die, but he will win. No. 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 The Bible says, when Jesus entered the synagogue, Demon spirits began to cry. The Bible talked about that guy who used to live in tombs, cutting himself. As Jesus crossed the ocean from far, he began to scream, have you come to torment us? 
Have you come to torment us before our time? That's what the Bible says. Forget Nollywood and read your Bible. Captivity is captive. Thank you, Jesus. And not just that. He led captivity captive and he gave gifts to men. You see, there's an allusion, all right, you, you see, to how war was done in the olden days. When they go for war, they will have prisoners of war. He's saying Satan is a prisoner of war. Jesus won, Satan is a prisoner. He led captivity captive, and then just like um, a victorious king would throw a party, you know, when he comes back. He says, God was lavish. He gave gifts to men to celebrate the victory of Christ. It's one of the ways he celebrated the victories of Christ. He gave gifts to men. And you're wondering, what gifts? What gifts? I hope it's a car. Is it money? What gifts? And then when you read carefully, he now says to some, so he's, he's, he's explaining the distribution. To some he gave apostles, to some he gave prophets, to some he gave evangelists. Oh, so the gifts are people. He gave gifts of men to men. Oh, interesting. This is the divine order of God. If you check it, everything God ever wanted to do for all humanity, he first did in one. It's the order of creation. When he wanted to create trees, he created a garden, planted a garden, and gave all those trees the capacity to reproduce after their kind. So that's why every tree has fruits, and in the fruits there are seeds. Do you understand? So God did not create a billion trees, even though the plan was a billion trees. He didn't create a billion human beings. He created one. And he called that's not the teaching for today. But he called that single human being mankind. Adam is not a name. He was never named. Adam means mankind. So God saw mankind in one person. That's a picture of how the blessing of God works. When God wants to bless a community, he invests all the blessings in one person. Oh boy. Did I lose you? In one person. And then the person has the privilege. It's a privilege of distribution. Hallelujah. He says, to some he gave apostles and prophets. And, and so, these are ministry gifts. Jesus called himself a gift. When he sat on that well and that woman came, he told her, he said, if you knew the gift of God and who it is that is talking to you, you would have asked him and he would have given you living water. Can I tell you something? There are gifts today also. Yes, who have the responsibility to offer living water to people in the preaching of the gospel? Praise the name of the Lord. And what is their role? What is their responsibility? In verse 12, he says, For the equipping of the saints for the work of the ministry, for the edifying of the body of Christ. I love this. Equipping the saints for the work of the ministry. <sighs> edifying the body of Christ till we all come in the unity of the faith 
and of the knowledge of the Son of God to a perfect man to the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ. Now, this is so important. If I were to summarize the duties of these ministry gifts, I would call it quality assurance. <laughs> That's what it is. Because now he tells you, first and foremost, all the saints need to realize they have a call on their lives. They have a call to ministry. I don't mean your God is asking you to start a church, but you have a ministry. In Christ, we all get to participate in the spread of the gospel. This is the destiny I'm telling you that God is luring you to. You came for donkeys, but he is telling you he has a call on your life. saints are called to ministry and he has given gifts to prepare them for ministry. Listen, that's why God brought you here. To equip you for ministry. So not only do you have a call on your life, God also has a standard as to how that call must be carried out. So for quality assurance, he has deposited people in the system to make sure that in every generation, the work is up to standard. I can't emphasize this enough. That's the real duty. Listen, thank God for many things that you know, maybe pastors for, or apostles for, and all the differentiations that are in your mind that separate the offices. But I'm telling you generically, in generic terms, they have one thing in common. To make sure that the standard in every generation does not drop. It's quality assurance. It says, oh my goodness. Are you learning anything? Yes, sir. It says, still we come to a perfect man, to the measure. There is a measure. There is a stature. A maturity, a fortitude in view. Till we come to the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ. It's development. That's the assignment. Equipping the body. Preparing the body for service. Summoning them. Raising an army for the Lord. That's why God has brought you here. He wants to put a fire in your heart, a passion in your mind. He wants to make your hands strong so that you can serve, so that you, you can stand for him, do ministry for him, be a battle ask for him. You came for donkeys, he wants to make ministry with you. He wants to do ministry. He wants to make a name for himself with your life. That's the real reason you're here. That's the real reason this church exists. Praise the name of the Lord. So apostles are culture custodians. They have the responsibility to make sure that the standard does not drop. So we must all come in the unity of the faith. 
we must all come to a perfect man. He wants you to measure up. He wants you to level up. Hallelujah. This is so important. Let me tell you what God wants to do with this church. God wants to make us examples of the believer. A pattern in this generation. He wants us to measure up to the stature. There is a stature. A stature to attain. So that the people in our generation will be able to measure up and stand toe-to-toe -to, -toe to any representative of the body of Christ in history. Because you belong to a family. Paul says, for this cause I bow my knees to the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, of whom the whole family in heaven and earth is named. We belong to a family in heaven and earth. It's one family, visible and invisible. And so now, you must ask yourself, if you belong to the same family with all those heroes of faith you read about in Hebrews 11, what about you? Are you eating the same food? Do you have the same diet? Have you ever wondered some family, from some families, two different, extremely different people from the same roof? And you're wondering, did you eat the same food? Did the same person train you? There is an exposure that you must open yourself to. That's what I'm saying. The standard must be preserved. God wants to start a new move in our generation. And you are a part of it. And he wants to equip you. That's why he brought you here. With stamina. With gifts. With training. So that you will stand. And do the work of God. As well as anyone else. In history has done. By the spirit of God. Say loud amen if you believe. I mean, think about it. Paul's number one duty was quality assurance. He always went from place to place to check the message, <laughs> to make sure it is intact. And so you will, hear, you will hear him say things like, maybe to the church at Thessalonica, I can't wait to come to you so that I will perfect what is lacking in your faith. Because it's quality assurance. He just comes, observes the system, sees what is lacking and balances it up. So to the church, you know, of Corinth, he commended them. Oh, you are full of utterance and knowledge. I commend you. I'm glad for you. I thank God for you. But he says, as you are bound in utterance, in faith, in knowledge, see that you are bound in generosity also. Do you understand? So make sure that you are growing. That's the work of an apostle. Balance. Quality assurance. See that you are bound in this grace also. I commend you for utterance. Work on this. You know, we have 
a few branches already. Glory to God. And as I move from place to place, I see that people are very different. I don't even know if I should talk about it. Very different. You see, the folks in Lagos and Abuja are very different. And they are all children of God. But very different. The folks in Lagos, the culture in Lagos has changed them and they don't even know it. They are now very hard. And they don't know. It affected me too. My first week in Abuja, I was driving, you know, and I was honking. You know, and someone stopped and wound down, looked at me, why are you honking like that? I said, ah, sorry, oh. where I'm from, this is normal now. You even sing with it. Where you're playing music, you, ah, oh, sorry. And one of the first things I noticed is the people in Abuja were calmer, so nice, so warm. More open, more trusting. Lagos, everybody is suspect. <laughs> you know what I'm saying. People who grew up in Abuja find it hard to adjust in Lagos. And these are things that, you know, you must renew your mind. Renew your mind. So, Lagosians have built their lifestyle around the culture of Lagos without knowing. So, Lagosians are more likely to use their resources to compensate for the fact that in relationships, I cannot always be there. Traffic. What do you mean you want to see me? <laughs> Before I come and see you, my friend has traveled to London and come back. <laughs> so, so, we just, how are you? How was your day? Okay, I sent you 5K. That's, that's Lagos relationships. But for the single fact that traffic is not really a factor in Abuja, let me say this. I, I built so many close relationships in a short time, in two years. It was unbelievable. In, uh, uh, very deep and personal relationships. Maybe it's just the traffic. Maybe it's also the culture in that place. And so, as an apostle, I'm saying, oh, I can tell Lagosians, work on your, your warmth. Don't, don't let, I don't know, the smile in Abuja is different. I'm being honest. You know, uh, <laughs> the smile in Abuja is different. But Abuja has a problem. <laughs> and he said that, I'm just using the example of Paul, saying, Corinth, utterance, you got it. Do better in generosity. Abuja is current. <laughs> if you know, you know. <laughs> so, <laughs> I'm just playing. I'm sorry. I'm your pastor, so I can't talk. So, so I, it, it was another culture shock. As I commended all these other things, it, it was surprising. You know, I wasn't used to it that people come for counseling sometimes two hours. And it didn't occur to you, you know, to, I'm, I'm not hungry, I'm not, and I'm not materialistic, but it was just different. <laughs> it was just different. So you could say, and mind you, they are very generous when it comes to giving to church. But when it comes to giving to people, they need to work on that. Let me put it that way. <laughs> or let me say, Lagos does better with that. But that's actually part of the problems of Lagos. It, it's kind of frustrating when you are giving a lot 
but the warmth, the personal, do you understand what I'm saying? So I said all of that to say this. You spot yourself. There is a supernatural assessment, an x-ray. You don't have to wait for people to do it for you. Some of you now, you know you don't have a prayer life. <laughs> you don't have a prayer life. So work on that. You know what I'm saying? Some churches in the body of Christ, they're so prayerful. They have little revelation. Some people have plenty revelation. And they're even mocking the people who are prayerful and have no revelation. Meanwhile, you have a lot to learn from them in terms of prayer. Do you understand what I'm saying? And God wants to make sure. He says that we stand a perfect man. Measuring up to the fullness of the stature of Christ. He wants us to go for fullness. In prayer. In evangelism. In charismatic ministry. Our approaches may change. Paul never used handheld mic. But the message must never change. The power must never change. It must not change. There are some things that are non-negotiable. You must know them. Another thing that must never change, salvation. How it is presented. How it is taught. There is a message. Turn your Bibles, Jude, verse 3. I have to move quickly now. Jude, verse 3. Say, so thank you, Jesus. Jude verse 3 says, Beloved, when I gave all diligence to write unto you of common salvation, it was needful for me to write unto you to exhort you that you should earnestly contend. Can you say earnestly contend? Earnestly contend for the faith that was once delivered to the saints. This is the work of an apostle here. He's observing the message. He's monitoring the message and he's discovering loopholes. Oh, 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 oh. Someone is watching this thing down. That's quality assurance, you see. Earnestly contend for the faith that was once delivered to the saints. When he says the faith, he's not talking about charismatic faith. He's talking about saving faith. When you talk about the Christian faith, the message of salvation, it must not change. It says, I wrote diligently to instruct you, earnestly contend. Fight for it. That message must not change. He said, I'm discovering that people have tampered with this message. Sometimes I cry. You know, just seeing some gospel presentations, I thank God for the honesty and the sincerity. And this is the problem. When you want to correct things, people think you are insensitive because they are sincere. But we must also think about the people who are being led astray. Can I tell you something? A friend of mine went to preach somewhere. And he preached the message of the gospel. And when he was done, an 85-year-old woman drew him aside and said, explain what you said again. And when he explained, she started crying. She said, I've served in church for many decades. Do you know how old I am? I'm 85. I was going to go to meet Jesus and I had never heard the gospel. I served in church. She, and now she was asking him, what would have happened to me if I died? 
and he couldn't answer. And he had to take time to calm the woman down so that she wouldn't have resentment for the people that taught her everything apart from the most important thing. And I'm saying respectfully, with great love for the body of Christ. Let us not master everything apart from what really counts. It says, endlessly contend for the faith that was once delivered to the saints. So that when Paul preaches, and when we preach, fundamentally, there shouldn't be any change in the message. That's what God wants. This is so crucial. This is so important. Look at Galatians chapter 1 verse 8. Galatians chapter 1 verse 8. Now this one is very, very sensitive and very staring. Galatians chapter 1 verse 8. Oh dear. He says, but even if we or an angel from heaven, I think he added angel from heaven because of Africans. Because can I tell you something? We have so much honor at the expense of the truth. It doesn't, truth depends on who is saying it. And I'm telling you respectfully, you can respect people and know that fundamentally men will be men and they are not infallible. And so truth must be seen in the word. And so he says, even if we, or an angel from heaven preach any other gospel to you other than what we've preached, let him be accursed. And the word, you know, used for accursed means cast it aside. Exempt it from what we believe. Don't embrace it. That's quality assurance. When you were a child spiritually, you could go to just any church and be blessed. But when you grow up, the Bible says you will no more be tossed to and fro by every wind of doctrine. Listen, you know you are growing when you take on this quality assurance consciousness to say, okay, let's look at this message well. Is this what the Bible teaches? It says, even if it's an angel. So we don't judge truth by spectacular encounters. Even if an angel appeared and he had lights, you know he's an angel by what he says, not by what he looks like. There are some things a so-called angel will say, you say, get to be me, Satan. <laughs> Hallelujah. Now that's discernment. Judging by the word, not by eyes. Some people don't, don't even know a good church. And don't blame them. It's part of the symptoms of immaturity. A child doesn't know what's good. I remember, I'll never forget, you know, I was preparing for my work, so I spent some time in my auntie's house because she, her house was closer to school and I wanted to cut the distance. And she had, one of her sons was still a toddler at the time. And this boy was crying for a jar of Nescafe. He thought it was chocolate. And the woman appealed to him. It's not chocolate. He was crying and throwing tantrums. And so she caved in, you know, and just took a spoon, 
chucked it in his mouth. And he, ah! You know, I started crying again. I was like, I told you. <laughs> so many times we don't even know what we should want. We don't know what to look out for. It takes growth in discernment to even know a good sermon. To even know when God is moving. We don't even know what we want. We don't even know what the great church is. You know, I said something interesting on Sunday. I said, innocently, the Jesus movies you watched might have cast a very wrong image in your mind, innocently. For instance, the average age of the people who act the characters, forget how old do they look, average. How old was Mel Gibson? 40-something, right? How old was Jesus in the Bible? So, do you know it's a problem? People see someone like me and say, young minister. No, I'm the standard. <laughs> Jesus was my age mate when he was doing ministry. So anyone who is older than me is old minister. Um, <laughs> it was my age. What is even more fascinating is many of the disciples were teenagers. I wish I had enough time to teach on this. You know when, maybe you didn't notice, when a woman carries two of her sons, disciples to come and meet Jesus to say, and let one sit on your right. Do you think they're adults? Imagine a full grown man, his mom carries him, say, and he's talking. <laughs> yes. Teenage symptoms. He has not collected freedom. They were teenagers. Don't ever, don't ever let anyone tell you you're too young. Can I tell you something? And so, so think about it. And you better prepare your mind. Because you might have an image of what you will see when you see Jesus. And in your mind, he will look like 40s, you know, big. And just, he just might look like me. Same stature. And guess what? You will kneel, you will roll, you will cry. Because we've learned in the spirit not to discern anyone after the flesh. So there were people following Jesus who were older than him, younger than him. It didn't really matter what they were looking out for. You have the words of life. Where do we go? That's what counts. Some judge church by social status. The message is more important. He said, even if it's an angel, if he teaches any other thing, Throw it away. Say loud amen if you believe. Second yeah. Corinthians 5, 17. Popular text. It says, therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creature. All things have passed away. Behold, all things have become new. Now all things are of God who has reconciled us to himself through Jesus Christ and has given us the ministry of reconciliation. He has given us the ministry, the message of reconciliation. Oh, oh, that is, God was in Christ 
reconciling the world unto himself, not imputing their trespasses unto them, and had committed unto us the word, the message of reconciliation. Can I tell you something? We are not supposed to freestyle as preachers. We have been told what to preach. He has given us a message. It is a message of reconciliation. Not a message of damnation. Listen, there is a warning in the gospel, but the warning is not the gospel. When you carry a megaphone and you are crying, oh, if you have done this, hellfire. If you have done that, hellfire. You are correct. But it's not complete. The message is not that there is sin in the world and all the repercussions thereof. The message is what God has done about it. The message is reconciliation. He has given you a message of reconciliation. Not the message of damnation, but reconciliation. To wit that God was in Christ, reconciling the world unto himself, not imputing their trespasses. That's the message. That if you believe in Jesus, your trespasses are not imputed. That's the gospel. Some people don't understand the message. They think the message is a second chance. They may not know it, but that's how they present it. Listen, there is normal reconciliation, maybe amongst your friends. You have friends, you offend the friend, and you know, you say, hey, bro, Alpha. And he looks away, he's angry, visibly angry. And you now appeal to him, okay, I'm sorry now, I won't do it again, you know. And the person now says, don't do it again. I don't like it. That's another chance. We even sing it. You're the God of a second chance. Hey, let's be honest. If God is God of a second chance, we're in trouble. Yes, How many chances have you needed? If God is a God of 100 chances, you are still in trouble. If God is a God of 1,000 chances, you are still in trouble. Be honest. The message is not another chance. The message is reconciliation in Christ. You have to understand the difference. Oh my goodness. It is not that then God was angry, we apologized, we said sorry, and he said don't do it next time. That's not the gospel. Many people present the gospel like that. Not intentionally, but you see, when you're preaching and you say, oh, no matter what you do, in the secret, he's watching you. When you are doing this, he's watching you, and he is. In this camp meeting, we're going to talk about sanctification. God is big on that. But hear what I'm saying. When you present the gospel that way, and then the keyboard begins to play, and then you feel sad and sorry for all the wrongs that you've done, and then you come forward, and they say, say after me, Lord Jesus, Lord Jesus, I'm sorry for all the things I've done. Knowing or unknowing, sin of commission, permission, commission, you know. I make a U-turn. I promise you, I will not do it again. And you now say, I have given my life to Christ. I'm saying this respectfully. Can I tell you something? There are a lot of good churches. No one just explained these things to them well. So I'm not 
throwing aside all the good things they've done. I'm just saying do better. The message is reconciliation. There's a difference. Let me show it to you. So what is Bible reconciliation if it is not just saying sorry? Are you ready for this? Look at Romans chapter 5 verse 10. So there are t- I've given you two pictures. Um, I've given you one. I offend someone. He's angry. I say, I'm sorry. Forgive me now. Sorry. And the person says, don't do that again. Oh, now we are reconciled. That's human natural reconciliation. But Bible reconciliation is different. Everybody read Romans 5, 10 together, one to go. It says, for when we were enemies, we were reconciled to God by the death of his son. So, there is a type of reconciliation in people's mind where you just say sorry. But the Bible kind is this. Someone is a sinner. This is the penalty that he deserves. And then I find a substitute. Are you getting what I'm saying? I find a substitute who takes his place, dies his death. Can I tell you something? As long as that penalty has already been paid, you can no longer hold him accountable. That's biblical reconciliation. It is, it is deeper than another chance. Is that, listen, all the chances at judgment have already been catered for. The wages of sin is death. Someone died my death. I no longer get to die. That's it. You know, we even quote that verse, but we quote only the first part. For the wages of sin is death. No, the Bible didn't stop there. It didn't just say the wages of sin is death. It says for the way, Romans chapter 6 verse 23. You should check that. Romans 6 23. Put it up quickly. Romans 6 23. Can you open your Bibles? All right. Put it up. It says, for the wages of sin is death, but there is a capital interjection here. A disruptive word there. It is true that the wages of sin is death. This is what you deserve based on what you've done. Your wages. This is what you've done. But the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. So if it is by what you've done, death is what you deserve. But you got a free gift instead. So listen, you can be in church for donkey years and not know that eternal life is a gift. You think you have to earn it by your efforts and by your faithfulness. But the Bible says it's a gift. Am I saying there is no faithfulness in salvation? No. Let me put it this way. Coughing is a symptom of COVID, but not all coughing is COVID. (laughs) Isn't that straightforward? So, every child of God who is saved 
will have fruits of righteousness. But not everyone who behaves well is saved. You must be weary lest you go the way of Cornelius. The Bible tells us of a man named Cornelius. The Bible says he was a devout man. The Bible has that testimony of him. He was a good man. I, you need to read it yourself. Look at Acts chapter 10. Many churchgoers are like Cornelius. Acts chapter 10. Oh, this is so serious. The, from verse 1, there was a certain man in Caesarea called Cornelius, a centurion of the band called the Italian band, a devout man, very pious, and one that feared God. So he was God-fearing, but he was not saved. A lot of people don't know the difference. You can be a devout man and not be saved. You can be a God-fearing man and not be saved. The Bible says he gave arms to people. You can be generous and not be saved. You can be a giver and not be saved. You can be a tither and not be saved. He gave arms to the people. He prayed to God always. You can be prayerful and not be saved. Are you listening to this? Cornelius is the type of person you will see on the road and say, ah, this one is going to heaven. Devout man, God-fearing, prayerful, generous, husband material. <laughs> but he saw in a vision an angel. So that's another thing. You can have spectacular encounters, be seeing angels and not be saved. See, what I'm doing is I'm training you in discernment. God-fearing is not salvation. Prayerful, being prayerful is not salvation. Generosity is not salvation. All those things are in salvation, but in and of themselves is not salvation. Even supernatural experiences, not salvation. He saw an angel. The angel told him, go to to a man named Saul of Tarsus, he will tell you words by which you must be saved. So you are prayerful, you are God-fearing, you are generous, but you need to be born again. So there are many good people who need to be saved. Many decent people who must be born again. Because the message of salvation is totally different. Paul says, one of the scariest chapters in the entire Bible, Romans chapter 10 verse 1, it says, brethren, my heart desire to God for Israel is that they might be saved. It says, for I bear them record that they have a zeal for God. So you can be zealous for God and not be saved. Just look at the contradiction from a human standpoint, verse 1 and verse 2. How can you be praying for someone's salvation and yet acknowledge in verse 2 that they have a zeal for God? You can be very active in church and not be saved. For be a record that they have a zeal for God, but not according to knowledge. Knowledge was the problem. Morality was not the problem. Passion was not the problem. It was a knowledge problem. 
It says, for they being ignorant of God's righteousness and going about to establish their own. Listen, so there is God's righteousness and there is a type of morality that God says is your own. Aye. It does not count with him. People don't understand this. Listen, you think you're moral? Go and read about the Buddhists. You have a, an iPhone, you're on social media, and you think you're moral. Those guys, they, they, act, they embrace poverty. They sell all their belongings. They go to become monks. They spend hours meditating. They want to exempt themselves from everything carnal and earthly. And they are meditating to enter Nirvana. You can't beat that. If it is by works, those guys would be saved, but they are not. Are you getting this now? Haven't you met non-Christians eh, that are more moral than you? By a natural standpoint. Just, are you getting what I'm saying? At least upright. And they must be born again. And it tells us what salvation is. It says that you shall, if you shall believe in your heart the Lord Jesus and confess with your mouth that God raised him from the dead, you shall be saved. For with the heart man believes unto righteousness. With the mouth confession is made unto salvation. Are you getting what I'm saying? So the people who are working hard, zealous for God are not saved. Then this Samaritan woman who had married five times and still had a boyfriend sees Jesus, believes he's the Messiah, and is running. Her life is changed. And even though from that day, her life is going to change morally too, but she was saved first. That's what we are saying. And so, so Jude says, content for the faith that was once delivered to the saints. It must not change. Because we can have a church full of activity. You have to understand how deep and dangerous religion is. Do you know the people who killed Jesus did not commit murder? They followed due process. They followed due process. The law, you see, their religion was, was carved in such a way that they could hold Jesus accountable, nail him to the cross. Religion. They thought they were doing God's service. Religion is very dangerous. Go check the books of records. Jesus is registered criminal according to their judgments. It's a dangerous thing. And that's why you must always check, revert back to the original documents. Thank God for men like Martin Luther, who had the audacity to say, mm -mm, salvation by grace alone, true faith alone. It, it, listen, the gospel will never thrive in the hands of indifferent people. We just say, oh, you do you, your truth, my truth. Mm -mm. The Bible says the message of reconciliation. There is a message. 
There is a message. There is a message. Hallelujah. As I try to bring this to a close, look at Ephesians chapter 2, verse 8. You see, religion is so dangerous. You can have mental models that... Have you seen very brilliant people, medical doctors, but when you hear their religious beliefs, you are very confused. That how can an intelligent person come wind up with this kind of ideologies? So, let's assume we're all learning from the word of God for the first time. Are you in Ephesians chapter 2, verse 8? Please read together one to go. Hold on. For by grace are you saved. That changes everything. You can grow up in church and still not understand this. Do you know what it means to have something by grace? To have something by grace. Do you know what it means? For by grace are you saved. By grace? So all your imaginations of what making heaven will be like, even from the term making heaven, like you did something, and then you just get there and you're excited. Ah, and we have some phrases that are popular. Heaven at last. <sighs> and you're catching your breath. And Jesus is like, hey, daughter, I'm happy to see you. Wait, 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 wait. Ah, uh -uh, can't someone catch me? Bring me water first. Ah, ah you too, you know I tried. Do you know? Ah, bring your records now. Check tithing. Check church attendance. Check. That's, that's the mindset we carry. We want to tick all the boxes. And make, and the Bible says, for by grace are you saved. And it says, through faith, that not of yourself, please. You understand English, have you? Yes, sir. That's not of yourself. What does it mean? So, I don't know how repetitive he had to be for you to get it. By grace are you saved. Through faith. That one also is very powerful. You mean... All I have to do to live forever is to believe. Okay, you still don't get that. It says, that not of yourselves. It is not of myself. When Jesus tells Nicodemus, except a man be born again, he shall not enter the kingdom of... What? Do you know how frustrating that is? Except a man be born <laughs> maybe you are too used to it that's why you don't get the point except that's why Nicodemus he said was spinning how can a man be born when just say you know won't give us <laughs> you know this is not the first time Jesus will paint the picture of impossibility from a human standpoint when it comes to salvation there was one time he said it is easier for a camel to enter the hole of a needle 
than for a rich man to be saved. The, the, the disciples said, how far? Who then can be saved? And then he said, with men it is impossible, but not with God. That's the concept of salvation. It is a natural impossibility. It has to be a miracle for it to be salvation. That not of yourselves. It is the gift of God. It is the gift of God. It says, then look at the next verse again. Not of works. You don't walk to get it. You don't do anything to earn it. You can't earn it. You don't deserve it. It was given to you. Because you believed. It is the gift of God. Not of, it says, lest any man should boast. Meaning, none of us can boast. Your pastor cannot boast. You cannot boast. They dashed us. Yes. We believed he gave it to us. It says, God was in Christ, reconciling the world unto himself, not imputing their trespasses. That's gospel. Not imputing their trespasses unto them. So, how then do we live a holy life? And how do we bear fruits of righteousness? It tells us in verse 10, Ephesians 2.10, it says, we are his workmanship created in Christ Jesus to do good works. So, when you think about salvation, don't think works, think workmanship. <laughs> don't think requirements, think results. Because of what he wrought in us, we can live out a life consistent with his will. So we are not doing it to be saved. We are doing it because we are saved. Yes, sir. See, let me tell you this. The Bible clearly tells us that not all works will be rewarded. If you produce morality with your efforts, and the Bible tells us that's possible. It says they've been ignorant of God's righteousness and going about to establish their own. So there is there are a lot of moral people. But not all morality, all right, gets God's attention. The only one that is accepted is the one that is a product of the spirit. In Ezekiel chapter 36, verse 26, it says, I will put my spirit in you. I will cause you to walk according to my statutes. You will keep my judgments and do them. It says, a new heart will I give to you. A new spirit will I put within you. And I will take away the stony heart out of your flesh and give you a heart of flesh. You know, Jeremiah 31, 33 says the same thing. You know. So now, this is what he says. I will, I will, I will. I'll put my spirit within you and cause you to walk in my statutes. You will keep my judgments and do them. So it is the work that is the product of the spirit that is accepted. The Bible says, on that day, everyone's work will be tested. Many will suffer loss. What might be big in your eye would depreciate. When it is taken through the fire of the word of God, many will suffer loss. Hallelujah. Contend. For the faith that was once delivered unto the saints. If you're going to preach the gospel, preach it right. Because the gospel is this. 
Someone died my death. I never get to die again. There are two powerful stories that depict this. The Bible tells us that when Jesus stood before Pilate, you know, his wife had already seen a vision that told her that Jesus was innocent and she warned her husband, have nothing to do with it. So the guy even washed his hands physically to just to show that, I mean, he's free from this. And he was determined to let Jesus go. Because he knew that he was only there because the Jew, Jewish um, high priests were jealous. And he was determined to let Jesus go. Operative, because Jesus knew the will of God. <laughs> and Jesus' answers were just, so just, all right, I'm going to do something. According to the law, I have the right in my office to let one prisoner go free. I have the right. And I'm going to do something that is going to be very easy for people. So he brings Barabbas, puts him on the platform. Barabbas, notorious criminal. Everybody hates him. He tormented the whole city. You know, he deserves to be there. He deserves to be executed. And he was, you know, meant to be executed. And then Jesus. Jesus. Now this is too far. Yeah, you accuse him of blasphemy and all those things, but why put him side by side Barabbas? Oh, Pilate, we see what you're doing. Oh, we get the point. You shall want to release him. Okay, okay, it's not that serious. Why would we release Shekau for Barabbas? <laughs> well, no, Puari, what's going on? Let me see. <laughs> but surprisingly, the people say, release Barabbas. Crucify Jesus. And Pilate is like, what, what did you say? This is not how I planned it. Release who? And just imagine Barabbas. You know, in there, you know, you're like, uh, anytime from now, they will call me, execute me. Uh, I know I've done bad things. No problem. Um, and sing one silly song like, Mama no deo. Mama no deo. You know all those kind of songs. You know, I was thinking all those, you know. And so when they call him, he thinks, oh, this time is here. They want to kill me. And they put him in the stand. This is one guy called Jesus. What am I doing here? And then all of a sudden, people are screaming, release Barabbas. Ah. It's like, wow. I'm famous. Wow. <laughs> they like me. They're like, release Barabbas. Ah. Is it a joke? And then eventually, Pilate has no choice. Tells them release Barabbas. Ah, they're releasing his chains. He's like, ah, 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 ah. that's it. I'm free. He's going home. Ah, that's it. I'm free. They took that guy in my place. I deserve to die, but I'm going home. Just imagine what he would tell the people at home. Ah, his wife didn't expect to see him ever again. You are home. What are you doing here? Ah, long story. There was a guy named Jesus. He died in my place. Now, that's the gospel. And just in case you think, oh, I'm just making this metaphorical alignment. Look at how Jesus preached it himself. In John chapter 3, verse 14, it says, As Moses lifted up the brazen serpent in the wilderness... 
so shall the Son of Man be lifted. It says, and whosoever believes in him will not perish. So what's the story there? The Bible tells us that the children of Israel had sinned against God. So fiery serpents came and were biting them. Many of them died. And Moses prayed to God. God, what do we do? And he says, put up a brazen serpent. Oh, glory to God. Put it on a pole. And all the people who want to be healed, they don't need to do anything. They don't need to put bandage. They don't have to stop the blood. They don't have to try to do anything. If you want to be healed, look at that brazen serpent. It says look and live. If you will look at that brazen serpent symbolically, as if that serpent was crucified in your stead, and that serpent died in your stead, look at that brazen serpent. Everyone who looked, the Bible says, was healed. Everyone who looked, they didn't need to, they didn't need to see a doctor. They didn't need to do anything of their own. All they had to do was to look. He is my sacrifice. He died my death. He took my place. I'll never die. Paul says in him we have redemption through his blood. The forgiveness of sins. We have redemption through his blood. Listen, we didn't get saved by saying sorry. People don't understand this. We didn't get saved by saying sorry. Someone died our death. You have to understand this. And now God is obligated. Don't, what I'm telling you, that, that's why the Bible says, blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ who has blessed us. Now he's blessed for blessing us. He's doing the right thing. We speak well of him for speaking well of us. It is fitting that he speaks well of us. Paul said this to the church at, in Rome. I'm going to show it to you. Romans chapter 3. He says, God is just for justifying us. He did, he's doing the right thing. If he justifies the sinner, he's doing the right thing. Because someone died his death. The Bible says, for God so loved the world. That he gave his only begotten son. That whosoever believes. Whoso, I, I don't know about you. Whosoever is my middle name. It's my... My native name is whosoever. <laughs> it says that whosoever believes in him should not perish, but have everlasting life. Let God be true and all men liars. Do you believe? Yes, sir. It says whosoever believes will not perish. Will you perish? No. Okay, maybe you're saying no because you did well today. You tried. Why are you saying no? Why do you know you will not perish? Now that's the gospel. God so loved the world. He gave. He surrendered his son to die. So that whosoever believes in him should not perish but have everlasting life. Paul says, content for the faith. I was once delivered unto the saints. Contend for it. Contend. You contend for it by embracing the true message of salvation. You contend for it by speaking out, telling the world what Christ has done. Because people, out of sincerity, set aside 
the work of Christ without knowing. Because in the popular presentation of the gospel, there is no use for Christ. If you just make people sad that they sinned and make them promise that they won't do it again, Christ is not needed. Innocently, Christ has been made useless in the popular presentation of the gospel. Jesus didn't need to die for you to feel sorry. People felt sorry before Jesus died. They felt sorry and they went to John the Baptist. So what do we do? He said, he that has two coats, give to him, he that has none. They felt sorry, they even repented, but they were not saved. Are you listening to me? You can be a good person, a God-fearing person, a generous person, a devout man, and still not be saved. To be saved, ah, yeah. Paul says, say not in your heart, who shall ascend into the heaven to bring Christ down? Who shall descend? It's, it's not about what you can do. He said, what's yet it? He said, the word is nigh thee, even in your heart and in your mouth. It's near, it's not that deep. He says that if you shall believe in your heart, the Lord Jesus, and confess with your mouth that God raised him from the dead, you shall be saved. If you believe, stand up this evening. Hallelujah. Do you believe that message? Listen, those are the most powerful words a human tongue can utter. I believe that Jesus died for my sins. I believe he rose again for my justification. I believe that because he died, I will never die. Listen, there is no greater confession known to man. There is no deeper word that your tongue can offer, utter, none, none. Just worship him right now. Can I tell you this? The Bible says when Peter was preaching something similar to what you just heard, he was preaching in Cornelius' house. He says, whilst he yet spake these words, the Holy Ghost fell on all them that heard the words. Fail. Meaning, salvation happens the moment you believe. It is okay for religious semantics for us to have sinner's prayer. But you don't get saved by prayer. You get saved by faith. Did you hear what I said? That's why there is no sinner's prayer in the Bible. These are the inventions of men. It might be helpful. You can have an open confession, an open acknowledgement of salvation, but what gets you saved is faith. So the person who is preaching might still be preaching. At the point you believe you are saved. So when you have an order call, it is actually to acknowledge what has already happened. Because you got saved the moment you heard the message and believed. The Bible says, contend for the faith that was once delivered to the saints. I want to pray for the sick. In the next few minutes, take the Bibles in your hands. I want to read something simple to you. You see, you have to understand that the theology for salvation is the same theology 
for healing. So when Galatians chapter 3 <laughs> verse 2 it says this only I want to learn from you. Did you receive the spirit by the works of the law or by the hearing of faith? Verse 5 Therefore he who supplies the spirit I like this. This is New Testament confession and I'm going to teach you this tomorrow. Don't miss it. We are suppliers of the spirits. If you are having problems in your devotion, there is something we are trained to do. It says you which are spiritual, restore such a one. We can supply you with a share arm. Don't you understand? And it says, he who supplies the spirits to you and works miracles among you, does he eat by the works of the law or by the hearing of faith? So you get people saved by the hearing of faith. You also work miracles by the hearing of faith. So if you are sick, as I pray and you believe, you will be healed. Thank you, Jesus. He said the hearing of faith, meaning you just hear and you believe. So all you have to do as I pray is to believe. Every reproductive issue is corrected now. From the crown of your head to the sole of your feet, there is nothing wrong in your body. Everything that needs to be repaired is repaired. Receive a new heart. Let eyesights be corrected now. Let every deaf ear open now. In the mighty name of Jesus. It doesn't matter what the doctor has called it. Be healed in the name of Jesus. Just thank him right now. It's done. It's done. It's done. Glory to God. Thank you for listening. We are sure that you have been blessed. For inquiries, reach us on our helpline 0809-996-7000. Blessings.